Part two, chapter eight of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter eight. The war was growing fiercer, and its theatre was approaching the Russian frontiers. Everywhere were heard curses against Bonaparte, the enemy of all the human race. In all the villages of the empire, veterans and raw recruits were forming into companies and from the theatre of war came conflicting rumours, usually false, and consequently interpreted in various ways. The life of the old Prince Bolkonsky, Prince Andrei, and the Princess Maria had changed in many respects since the year 1805. In 1806 the old prince was appointed one of the eight commanders-in-chief for the militia, at that time recruiting all over Russia. The old prince, in spite of the weaknesses of age, which had become especially noticeable at the period when he supposed that his son was killed, felt that he had no right to refuse the duty to which he had been called by the sovereign in person, and this new activity into which he entered stimulated and strengthened him. He was constantly engaged in journeying about the three governments entrusted to him. He carried his regulations even to pedantry. He was stern and strict even to cruelty with his subordinates, and he himself looked into the smallest details of his work. The Prince Maria had already ceased to recite her lessons in mathematics to her father, and only on mornings when he was at home did she go into his cabinet, accompanied by the wet nurse and the little Prince Nikolai, as his grandfather called him. The baby prince, with his wet nurse and the old nyanya, Savishna, lived in the apartments which had been occupied by the princess, her mother, and the young Prince Maria spent a large portion of the day in the nursery, trying to the best of her ability to take the place of mother to her little nephew. Mademoiselle Burine also apparently felt a passionate love for the child, and the Princess Maria, often in a spite of sacrifice, would allow her friend the pleasure of attending the little angel, as she called her nephew, and play with him. Near the altar of the Louisogorsky church, a chapel had been built to the memory of the little princess, and in the chapel was placed a marble monument, brought from Italy, representing an angel with outstretched wings, as if about to mount to heaven. The angel's upper lip was lifted a little, as though it were going to smile. Once Prince Andre and the Princess Maria, as they came out of the chapel, agreed that the face of the angel reminded them strangely of the face of the departed. But what was still stranger, and this Prince Andre did not remark to his sister, was that in this expression which the artist had accidentally given to the angel's face, Prince Andre read, those very words of sweet reproach which he had before read on the face of his dead wife. Ah, what have they done to me? Shortly after Prince Andrei's return, the old prince had made over to his son the large estate of Bogokorova, situated about forty verse from Louisa Gouri, partly on account of the sad recollections associated with Louisa Gouri, partly because Prince Andrei always felt himself unable to endure his father's idiosyncrasies, and partly also because he felt the need of solitude. He took possession of Bogusharovo, established himself there, and there spent a large part of his time. Prince Andrei, after the Battle of Austerlitz, had resolutely made up his mind never to go back into the military service again, and when the war began and all were obliged to enlist, he, in order to escape active service, accepted a position under his father's command in the recruiting of the militia. Since the campaign of 1805, the old prince and his son seemed to have exchanged parts, the father, excited by active life, expected all that was good from the campaign. Prince Andrei, on the contrary, not taking any active part in the war, and in the secret depths of his heart regretting it, 
saw only a dark prospect ahead. On the 10th of March, 1807, the old prince started on one of his circuits. Prince André, as usual during his father's absences, stayed at Louisa Gouri. The dear little Nikolushka had not been quite well for several days. The coachman who had driven the old prince to the next town returned and brought documents and letters for Prince André. The valet, carrying the mail, failing to find the prince in his study, went to the Princess Maria's apartments, but he was not there either. The valet was informed that the prince had gone to the nursery. "'If you please, your illustriousness, Petrusha has come with some documents,' said one of the maids employed in the nursery, addressing Prince André, who was sitting in a child's small chair, and, with knitted brows and trembling hands, was dropping medicine from a bottle into a tumbler half full of water. "'What did you say?' said he, testily, and by an unguarded movement of his trembling hand he poured too many drops into the glass of water. He threw the medicine on the floor, and asked for some more water. The maid handed it to him. In the room stood a child's cradle, two chests, two armchairs, a table, a child's table, and the little chair in which Prince André was sitting. The windows were closely shaded, and on the table burned a single candle shaded by a bound volume of music, so that no light might fall on the cradle. "'My dear,' said the Princess Maria, turning to her brother from the cradle by which she was standing, "'you'd better wait until—' please be kind enough you're always talking nonsense and you're always procrastinating and see what it has led to now said prince andrei in an angry whisper with the manifest intention of wounding his sister my dear truly it would be better not to awaken him he is asleep now said the princess in a supplicating voice prince andrei got up and went over on tiptoes to the cradle with the glass in his hand had we really better not wake him he said, irresolutely. "'Just as you please. Truly, I think so. But just as you think best,' said the Princess Maria, evidently embarrassed and a little ashamed that her opinion was about to rule. She called her brother's attention to the maid who was speaking to him in a whisper. It was the second night that neither of them had got any sleep on account of watching over the baby, which was suffering from a sharp attack of fever. All this time, since they had felt very little confidence in their own domestic physician, and were expecting one to be sent them from the city, they had disagreed about remedies, one preferring one thing, the other another. Suffering from sleeplessness and anxiety, they each blamed the other, and indulged in recriminations which accounted to actual quarrels. "'Petrusha, with documents from your papenka,' whispered the maid. Prince Andrei went out. "'The devil take them!' he exclaimed, and after hearing the verbal messages from his father, and taking the envelopes and letters, he went back to the nursery. "'How is he now?' asked Prince Andrei. "'Just the same. We must await the mercy of God.' "'Karl Ivanuitch always declares that sleep is better than any medicine,' whispered the Princess Maria with a sigh. Prince Andrei went to the child and felt of him. He was very hot. "'The mischief take you and your Karl Ivanuitch!' He took the glass with the medicine which he had dropped into it, and again approached the cradle. "'Andre, you ought not!' exclaimed the Princess Maria. But he scowled wrathfully at her, and at the same time with the look of a martyr, and bent over the baby with his glass. "'I insist upon it,' said he. "'Well, then, you give it to him.' The Princess Maria shrugged her shoulders, but obediently took the glass, and calling the nurse to help, tried to give the child the medicine. The baby screamed and strangled. 
Prince Andrei scowling, clasped his hands to his head, left the room, and sat down on a sofa in the next room. The letters were still in his hands. He mechanically opened them and began to read them. The old prince, in his large, scrawly hand, sometimes employing abbreviations and quaint archaic words, wrote on blue paper as follows. I have just at this moment received very agreeable news, unless it's a canard. Benixen is said to have gained a complete victory over Bonaparte, at Iulau. They are wild with delight at Petersburg, and endless rewards have been distributed in the army. Though he's a German, I congratulate him. I cannot imagine what that Nachalnik, Hendrikov, is doing at Korchevo. So far no reinforcements or provisions have come from him. Go there as quick as you can, and tell him that I will take his head off if everything is not here within a week's time. I have received additional news about the Battle of Ailau through a letter from Petenka. He took part. It's all true. When mischief-makers do not meddle, then even a German can beat Bonaparte. They say he is retreating in great disorder. See that you go to Korchevo without delay and hurry things along. Prince Andrei sighed and tore open another envelope. This was a closely written letter from Bilibin, filling two sheets. He folded it up without reading it, and again perused the letter from his father, ending with the words, Go to Korchevo without delay and hurry things along. No, excuse me, I will not go now, when my baby is still sick, he said to himself, and stepping to the door he looked into the nursery. Princess Maria still stood by the cradle, and was gently rocking the child. Yes, what in the name of goodness was that other disagreeable thing that he wrote, asked Prince Andrei, trying to recall his father's letter. Oh, yes, our men have won a victory over Bonaparte, now that I am not there to take part. Yes, yes, he will have a good chance to make sport of me. Well, let him if he wants. And he began to read Bilibin's letter. He read without understanding half of it read it simply for the sake of forgetting for the moment what had been painfully occupying his thoughts to the exclusion of everything else for quite too long. End of chapter 8